0: We were lucky enough to go to Florida at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. We won the Elite 32 four years in a row, became national champ. Last year, we played 95 games. Um, we, we went 93 and 2. If I can throw a few curveballs and get out of innings and limit their pitch count, um, that's better than throwing 80 fastballs. I'd rather than throw 40, 45 pitches and get out of there. At the end of the day, it's always what's best for the player first, and then I got to figure out how to win with what I have. I really just try to demonstrate how much I care about the kid and bring value to them. I feel if you bring value and the kid knows you care about him, you can pretty much say whatever you want, and they'll go through a brick wall for you. one um, meant a lot to our team, and I, I really think that they're a huge part of our success.
1: Fellas, fellas, fellas. Welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha.
2: And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a
1: bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again we'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the Rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. On this episode, we sit down with Rudy Garcia, head coach of MVP Hustle Garcia out here in Southern California.
2: Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Rudy Garcia.
1: Welcome back to The Farm System. We're sitting down with Rudy Garcia, head coach of the MVP Hustle Garcia team out in California.
2: Rudy, we appreciate you taking the time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm sure. system.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, man. And yeah, I know, Rudy, a big a big thing we wanted to have you on for is again, we're we're a holistic podcast and we want to come at this thing from so many different angles. And um again, you're in that spot of player development and hearing your story and um how you develop these players and where that what that team's done over the last couple of years is just unbelievable. So we wanted to have you on and, and really have you speak to that community and also give insight. Some of our coaches at the upper level, because I think there's some things I can translate over there uh, for them for sure as well. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, for that.
2: Absolutely. And, and before we dive into some of the stuff that has allowed you to be successful at that youth level, uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey through the game of baseball?
0: Uh, my journey is um, interesting. It's
2: for sure different.
0: Um, I played a lot of elite travel ball growing up, all the way to about 14, 15 years old. And then I, got, I was pretty undersized. I graduated high school at 130 pounds. Um, so nobody was really recruiting a, a contact hitter at 130 pounds. So I ended ended up choosing to um, wrestle in college because I wrestled and played baseball in high school and um, wrestled some junior college. Was lucky enough to be on a state championship team, became a junior college All-American, coached high school wrestling um, when I was in my early 20s. But I always loved baseball. And then my son started playing. He's 15 now. So he started playing at, like four or five years old. And I was just getting frustrated with with just the caliber of, of coaching at the youth level. And I was just like, you know, instead of complaining about it, I'm, I need to get out there. And I was lucky enough to be coached by a lot of really good just baseball minds. Uh, Rodney Davis, who's Chris Davis um, from the Oakland A's. Chris Davis' dad was, was my youth coach. Um, uh, Andy Nieto, who coached at USC, coached at Damien High School, coach, coached me a little bit in travel balls as well. Um, so I was lucky enough to have some good coaches to kind of, learned from and just went after it. And I ran into a buddy who coached travel baseball at an elite level and kind of took me under his wing, learned a lot from him. um, Just kind of added some stuff to, to our system and shoot 10 years later here. I am now on on a podcast with you guys. (laughs)
1: That's awesome. Well, you know, Rudy, um, if you talk to us a little bit about your team and maybe some of the success that they've had over the years, you know, just get some clarity to, you know, who the MVP, MVP Hustle Garcia is and and um, you know share some accomplishments. Okay, no problem.
0: Uh, well, MVP Hustle was they were winning um, at different age groups be, before I got there. They, they won a lot of national titles at an elite level, and I was lucky enough to be an assistant coach for them for a while. Um, then I started my own team um, about five six years ago, and we started believe it or not at seven U. Started at seven U, and they don't in at the elite level they start competing for national titles at eight. And um, we were lucky enough to go to Florida at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, we won the Elite 32 four years in a row, um, became national champs. And then last year at 12U, uh, we went to New York for the NYBC, which is the highest level of 12-year-old baseball there is in terms of caliber. And um, got you get national TV games, a lot of exposure, a lot of pressure on the kids, especially coming out for national titles. And um, just put a lot of work in throughout the year, set set that goal probably about two, two and a half years ago, and um, we were lucky enough to win that tournament about a month and a half ago. So now they're five-time national champ. Um So it's it mm-hmm. a pretty good accomplishment, um, something that these kids will hopefully never forget, and hopefully they learned a lot um, just on that journey.
1: Uh, Rudy, could you also share with everybody um, the record of your team uh, in the past year as well?
0: Yeah, well last year last year we played 95 games, which is kind of a lot. Um we we went 93 and 2. Um the year before that, I mean, I don't know the exact records. Um my style is a little different in terms of how we attack the season. We're very the whole season, to be quite honest with you, I don't really care about winning till the summertime, that's when the big tournaments are. So it's a lot of development stuff throughout the year um we end up winning a lot during the season i would say we were probably something like i don't know 85 and five we typically lose about four or five times a year along the way but we our record in the summertime when everything's on the line is is just is unbelievable to be honest with you um so i don't know i I would say we average about 80 90 wins lose about four or five times a year a couple years ago when we were 10 you it was out of hand we we played way too much we played about 125 games and we were like 113 and 12 but we played a lot of um, above our age group that season but we typically lose about three or four times in our age group every year last year we were lucky enough to only lose twice
2: that's so incredible and kind of want to touch on a piece of that that comes along with playing that many games in that schedule first question is how do you manage your pitching staff I know that a lot of the tournaments have pitcher inning limits but Yes. How, do you, how do you choose to monitor that? And then the second piece is um, how do you view breaking balls? Mm-hmm. I know that that's kind of discussed a lot by different coaches, but the more yes, that we've sure. learned about biomechanics, throwing a baseball is kind of bad in general. So how do you manage and monitor <laughs> those two things?
0: First of all, we, when we recruit our team, we, we recruit and um, develop our team to be able to win the big, long tournament because um, at the end of the year, the tournaments are over a week long. They're like 10, 11 games in a row. So we really put a focus on building a, a, a deep pitching staff. So l- last season, I had 10 pitchers on my team. Um, typically, we have seven to 10 pitchers, and that way we could limit their innings. We, we I, I really do everything I can to not throw kids on back-to-back days. Um, we focus a lot more on pitch counts as they get older. And just not I, – I, I really – do everything I can to make sure nobody's pitching when they're tired Um, we feel a kids falling off in the third or fourth inning Um, we'll get them out of there and bring another kid in um, to get the job done and having that mentality where you don't really care about winning early in the season or actually 80 percent of the season really helps with um, make those making those decisions a lot easier Um, because if you lose you lose it's november january february who cares Um, once we get to the summertime they're typically built up where they can go deeper in game um, but the last couple of years, no one's really thrown over three innings in a game. I think maybe one kid here, one kid there, maybe four innings where he was kind of cruising. Um, so we kind of limit their innings by having a really deep pitching stack.
1: Nice. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. That's great. And then what do you, what do you think about breaking balls with your arms? Do you just try to get guys that are more higher velocity or do you work like solely off of just change up mix or how do you kind of view that?
0: Well, some kids have, have elite level curveballs some have elite level knuckles balls or change-ups um, i I'm pretty demanding in terms of if you want to pitch for me you got to be able to throw two pitches for strikes um, at the elite level if you can't throw two pitches for strikes you're gonna get beat up pretty bad um, there's a lot of just offensively at that level this if you if you don't have more than one pitch where you can change speed um, you could get in trouble really quick so I've never viewed curveballs as something that if a kid throws them right and has good mechanics, I always felt that the guys with the higher velo are the guys that kind of typically get hurt. Um, now, mm-hmm. our guys do have high velo, um, but we've been lucky enough to not really have any injuries at a young age. I've been at this for about 10 years, so there's kids that we've coached when they were 10, 11, 12 that are now in high school and off to college that have been pretty good with their arms. I don't, I'm, I'm not the guy that throws 18 out of 20 pitch curveballs, but I, I definitely change speeds and want them to pitch. I feel that if i can throw a few curveballs and get out of innings and limit their pitch count um that's better than throwing 80 fastballs I'd rather than throw 40 45 pitches and get out of there
1: yeah yeah that's awesome you know one thing i really wanted to dive into as we kind of move forward here as well is you have a very interesting way of developing you know the player's mindset and um you know how do you come about that and then um what do you think about that um as a way of developing players in that sense i know if you really want i think this is a great opportunity for you to dive into kind of your guys's scheduling and how you develop players in the first place like how you set that culture and the you know private facilities and things that you take advantage of um but yeah, yeah if you just want to you know dive into all that i'd you know it'd be great yeah and
0: i think coming from a wrestling background everything is about just competing competing every pitch um competing when you play catch competing um, with your teammates, compete. Everything's about competing, even competing, and how much work you put in, um, how how much time you're spending developing yourself. We've kind of created that culture where we we had a lot of guys putting in some work on their own time, and we saw a lot of success. And as as young as eight, nine years old, believe it or not, some of these kids had some hitting coaches, some elite like strength conditioning guys, and the results we we saw were just unreal. So we started posting that social media wise and look at this kid putting in work at seven in the morning look at this kid hitting at nine o'clock at night and then all of a sudden the rest of the team wanted to kind of get some recognition for putting in work and before you know it everybody's putting in work so we just kind of set in, set that culture where you're always competing you're you're always getting after it, you're always trying to develop because i feel it's my job to kind of help increase their baseball iq teach them how to be good teammates and teach them how to play the game but I'd rather them go to experts outside of practice to learn how to develop their swing and their patterning and their mechanics. I, I feel that there's guys better than me at that. Um, so if my players are elite on the field and I feel I'm elite on the field and I'm elite at teaching the, teaching the game. There's other guys out there that are elite at training and um, I want my players to go to those guys. Um, and I've seen success doing that. So um, even before I kind of used that as a philosophy, um, the first time I, I noticed that was I was an assistant coach on a team uh, a while ago. And I, we had two kids that were probably the best 10-year-old, not just in the country at that time. They were two of the best 10-year-old players I've ever seen, um, even to this day. And by the time they were 12, they were barely good enough to be on our team. And then we had on the flip side, we had guys that were kind of eight, nine hitters, role players. That by the time they were 12, they were batting first, second, our lineup. They were our ace pitchers. I saw them develop, and I was trying to look for what they did differently. And what they did is they developed. They were they were training. They were hitting with certain hitting guys and pitching with pitching guys. Where the other kids that were elite at ten would miss practice a lot. They they never really went outside of practice to put some work in. And it's crazy how just from ten you to twelve you how much they fell off. Um, they still ended up being pretty good high school players, but. They never ended up really becoming Division One college players like the rest of the team.
2: That's interesting because obviously at a young age, there's a lot of merit in learning to play the game, especially with how many games you guys play. What's like what's your schedule like? like how often do you guys practice as a team versus send them out to their own private training sector stuff?
0: It's evolved over the years. Um, we practice less and less over the years because I wanted to free up some time. For them to do their training and also keep up with their schoolwork, which is a big part of our program, it's really important that they have good grades. Because obviously, no matter how good you are as a baseball player, if you can't get on the field because of your grades, and so it went from like three times a week to two times a week to like six times a month. Um, early in the year, we're pretty much once a week. Every once in a while, we'll practice on a weekend when we're not playing. Um, mm-hmm. But they're they're constantly training. Um, maybe two, three, four days a week, they go to their hitting guys, their pitching guys and then once we get towards the summertime right around march i mean right around april may the end of april early may we start picking it up and going a couple nights a week and then um in the summertime it it just depends where we're at i'm really conscious of not peaking too early because it's really it's really important that we we win the tournaments in in the summertime in june july um i've had teams that peaked a little early we peaked in may and june it was a grind to get through july and august so we we really focus on peaking at the right time. So it, it kind of evolves on where we're at in the process. Um, but I'm looking up where these kids put in work on their own time. It's kind of a thing where they know that if I want to keep up and I want to be on the lead team and play against the best players in the country, I got to put some work in.
1: No, yeah, that's really good. And I, you know, when, the thing that makes me think about when we go that direction and how you guys are structured – is you know really important how important that communication is going to be between your players you know private coaches and knowing when they're thrown there and you know again obviously with your guys' games throughout the year so could you kind of dive into like you know how important those communications are and like ways that you go about um, communicating a lot of those things with your players and also with their coaches and parents
0: yeah so some of the instructors that they have um, I, I know them pretty well and I'm able to Kind of let them know, like, hey, can you let so-and-so know that you're kind of flying open or that you keep spiking balls or you you, you don't have a feel for your off-speed pitch and have work on that. Um, i always ask them, like, you know what, when did you bullpen? When did you throw? And, and I'm always conscious of that, just having that communication with the player and the parents. Sometimes the instructors, I was lucky enough to have about half of my squad um, was going to the same facility, training facility. So I was able to communicate with him all the time, the, the head trainer there, and really um, just get on the same page on when I wanted these kids to be peaked. And he would communicate with me on on their onboarding program and how many innings they should be throwing, where there would be times where I, I'd call him and say, hey, how many, how many pitches do you think so-and-so can throw? And he's like, oh, 30 pitches. And he'd be one of my best players, best pitchers. So then I would just be like, all right, cool. I got to find a way to win with him only throwing 30 pitches. And we would just communicate that way because at the end of the day, it's always what's best for the player first. And then I got to figure out how to win with what I have, if that makes sense. Instead of the other way around where Mm -hmm. I feel a lot of coaches are what's best for the team and then the player's success or health is secondary, I kind of do it the other way where they'll tell me, okay, you know what? He should be ready to throw 40 pitches now or 50 pitches. Okay, now I got to put a plan together to win with that amount of pitches.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I kind of wanted to touch on, go back and touch on your practice. Um, if you guys are only getting together once a week or so, what do you like to get in? Like, what do you make a priority? Kind of, how do you set that practice up and and take us through what that looks like?
0: So it's, it's um, so for example, I have a new tenure team that just started. We had our second practice just yesterday. Um, because we don't focus on winning early, everything's about development. So we got a, I mean, we were there about two two hours, fifteen minutes yesterday, top. And I mean. We had different different stations where we're doing simple. Like we're just teaching them how to take a lead and how to take a secondary lead. We had another station where they're working on bunning, another station where they were doing T work. And then once we got on the field and warmed up, I had one coach take my catchers and they're just working on basics, framing and blocking. Um, another coach had outfielders and just drop stepping and, and understanding how to when to catch the ball with two hands, when to catch the ball with one hand. I had the middle infielders. That that was I was more of a middle infielder, leadoff guy. So um, with my middle infielders, it was just footwork, and I think um, we got as far as um, when to throw, when to flip to for double plays, and when to throw over. Um, we didn't even get to the second baseman yet on, on on footwork at second base. It was just all shortstop work, um, how to feed. So really basic. We're next practice, we'll add a little bit more stuff. The, the guys um, instead of leads and reads, we'll we'll do that for a little bit, but then we'll be Will actually be how to read a pitcher and how to get a good jump. The catchers will will focus on their throwing footwork. Um, we'll get in the middle infielders, we will we'll focus on the second basins and turning to double play. So, and we'll actually probably do a light bullpen next week, um, kind of build it because their arms feel really live right now, but I'm really careful with how much they're throwing at practice um, because I feel that because they haven't thrown for a couple months, just because their arm feels live doesn't mean it's ready to throw 80 to 100 pitches um so we're just going to try to build it up throw a light like 12 to 15 pitch bullpen and kind of build it up from there so i because i look at the the entire season as a puzzle this is really like we're barely out of the batter's box in terms of our season so we just start off really slow um and then we end the practice which i'm a big fan of we call them workups or game simulations we end practice with three innings of that and there's a lot of baseball iq type coaching um, where we had kids, not at the right place for a cutoff. We're not backing up the, the throw the right way. Um, where we do a lot of coaching during those game simulations, where I'm pitching behind an out screen, but we have a defense out there. We have kids hitting, and it's live. It's, it's live simulation stuff. So I, I feel that we're pretty efficient. So we get a lot of stuff done in that one practice.
2: That's great. I appreciate you opening that up for us. Kind of wanted to transition now. I know that you guys don't recruit a ton. Uh, you're fortunate to have a lot of <laughs> your guys kind of come back yeah. each year i'm sure at that travel ball level though you're always keeping your eyes open can you kind of take us through what you're looking for uh, if you do recruit what that looks like and then what type what type of players fit what you're doing there
0: yeah i mean it's evolved over the years now we, i mean we, we have a trial. and we're looking up where we get a lot of kids that are tryout and we get a good look at, at just a lot of just talented kids Unfortunately, there's some talented kids that, that we have to turn away at times. But what I'm looking for are athletic kids with big arms. That's what I'm looking for. That's what wins is, is the big arms. So if they can hit a little, that's a huge bonus. A lot of times at the younger age groups, the kids that can, that can hit a little bit can also throw. Um, so I, I really look for elite-level athletic kids that can throw. And then we everything else I feel like we can teach. So that's kind of where we start. Uh, and then you find, I find out like my, who are my core four or five players are, what positions they typically play, and then just kind of build around that. Um, I don't want to have eight third basemans or um, I would love to have eight shortstops if they're all comfortable with play different positions. Um, but it, I start off with pitchers, then catchers and shortstops. Like that's uh I feel like if I have a bunch of kids that can pitch, catch, and play short, then everything else takes care of itself.
1: That's awesome. Um, you know, I really wanted you to dive into this as well is, is, you know, what do you believe you know your role as a youth coach is? And what is the role of a youth coach just basically, you know, like in general, what are you to the kids? And what should you be to the kids? Yeah,
0: I, I really focus on creating an environment where kids just love to learn the game and love to put in work. Um, that's kind of my role It's just to create that environment. And don't get me wrong. Like, I don't, want it, I don't want you to think, like, I never raise my voice or get on the kids. If they're not hustling or they're not being a good teammate, I will get on them. Um, but first and foremost, what I do is I really just try to demonstrate how much I care about the kid and, and bring value to them. I feel if you bring value and the kid knows you care about them, you can pretty much say whatever you want, and they'll go through a brick wall for you. I even tell them, I said, raise your hand if your parents have ever yelled at you or gotten mad at you. and They all raise their hand. I said, do they still love you? And they all say yes. I say, I'm the same way. Yeah, I'm going to get on you at times when you don't do the right thing the same way your parents will, but I still love you. What I do is I kind of treat the kids like they're my nephews. I, I really kind of build that relationship where my nephews, I really care about them. I really love them, but I'll get on them when I need to get on them. I try to translate that onto the field, and that seems to work for me in terms of getting players to respond to me. Um, so just being that mentor, being that role model, I try to pride myself in having a lot of poise, and I really feel that that the kids feed off of that. And over the years, as they get older, they kind of understand what poise is. And I really think that that's what's translated into a lot of our successes. When things get crazy, umpires make bad calls, or you make an error, or you strike out, they still have that poise and that mental toughness to kind of grind through that.
2: Yeah, that's so awesome. I, I love that. you With you being in the game so long, Where where do you think youth coaches go wrong, at least what you've seen as far as not getting their guys to play or maybe kind of burning them out. What what have you seen at that youth level as far as what they're maybe doing wrong when they're going about interacting with their players? I, I think not having maybe a good
0: strategic plan on how, how to handle the ups and downs of the season, but I think a lot of coaches pick one or the other in terms of they're either all about development or they're all about winning and where I think they go hand in hand. And if you really focus on developing them into winners, and, and focus on just playing the game right and coaching them right, the winning kind of takes care of itself. And not, I think a lot of people focus on the result um, or they don't focus on the result at all. Like, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. And um, I, I think it's just really challenging. And sometimes with, with head coaches where they go wrong, a lot of times, and I struggle with this still to this day, is not asking for help sometimes. And I think that I'm lucky enough to have a really good coaching staff I, I really do my best to have coaches on my staff that don't have kids on the team. And I think a lot of coaches, I see them out there, and they're just there's just so much for them to do. And they end up not doing everything right because it's just overwhelming. There's just so much. Like, I'm not an expert on working with catchers. One of my assistant coaches caught a little bit in college, so I let him have my catchers. I tell him what I'm looking for, what I want, what I want to work on, and he goes and executes it and goes and does it. Um, so I think some coaches go wrong by just not asking for help or surrounding them with with other quality coaches.
2: Yeah, that's good. Um, I kind of wanted to touch on this. I was listening to another podcast you did and thought it was kind of funny. You, you were talking about your sign system. And um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed and was reassured knowing that my youth travel team wasn't the only one that was pretty complex. So uh, can you walk <laughs> sure. our listeners through kind of the different ways you do signs and then why you think it's important to kind of have that versatility in the travel ball? <laughs> Yeah,
0: well, there's a couple of reasons why we do. One of them, it, it just keeps the game fun, keeps it interesting. There's a lot of verbals that we use. So we use regular traditional signs where some, if you touch the bow, it means this, or if you touch the hat, it means that. We have traditional signs, but what we do, we have a verbal system where we could change them at any time. So, what I, my goal is to make the signs as easy as possible, but I can change them at any time and the kids are on the same page um so we have a lot of different verbal we have like four or five different still signs like how i show them how many outs there are will determine if we're stealing or if it just means how many outs there are um i might say a, a certain day of the week might mean something i might say a certain color might mean something sometimes it means nothing so we just kind of start off with the basics and then it, it evolves and um every two or three months you just add this and then add that and then before you know by the end of the year you just have this your own language And it just seems to work because whenever we get to start playing teams out of state and play on the biggest stage, it seems like every single year there's one or two teams trying to steal our signs or they actually do sometimes and then we have to change it on the spot where it doesn't really distract us and maybe we could cross them up. So we try to be as complex as possible um, because it's a huge advantage. If you have my sign, you know, pitches come in or, you know, when we're picking off, it's a huge advantage. And on the flip side, it's a huge advantage to us if I know when you're picking or when you're throwing an off speed pitch. Um, and the kids tend to feed off it and love it. And you get kids off the bench kind of talking to each other. Oh, I think when he, the coach does this, that means he's picking. Or I, when he touches this, it means they're bunting, and they relate to me. And it just keeps them engaged on the bench because there's a lot of downtime sometimes when you're coming off the bench. And it just seemed to really help and, um, tremendously, especially it's helped us win more because we do it. It helps us defend it. Um, when teams try to kind of pick our signs and stuff.
1: That's actually obviously really smart, but really simple and really complex to pick on the opposite side as well, um, that you guys can change it so much. But, you know, and um, now I really want you to dive into is, what does a 108 performance uh, mean to you? And why do you continue to send your players to the academy? I know a lot of your guys have gone there. Um, and I believe that was the, the academy you were talking about earlier that a lot of your guys have gone to. So okay, if you could dive into that, uh, it'd be awesome.
0: Yeah, so I, I credit One Away performance with a lot of our, our success, mainly because about half of our squad has been training there um, in the off-season, they train there all, all throughout the season, and we just had a really good communication going back and forth with Eugene Bleeker in terms of when our kids peaked out at the right time, keeping them healthy, what he's been working on with them, him and his staff. Um, and then I would be able to kind of communicate with them their results over the weekend um, so that relationship I had with him and the level of training our, our kids received was just unbelievable. Um, and I just seen so many results over and over. And, and one of the cool stories is one of our one of our big hitters was kind of an 8-9 hitter pretty much his whole time with us, ever since he was 7, 8 years old. He, he always had elite power, but was kind of inconsistent as a hitter. And that kid was spending four or five days a week at one away performance for a good year, year and a half and started off the season right around the eight nine hole three four tournaments in move up to the five and by the middle of the season he was one of the best power hitters in the country he's unreal just um the results that i've seen from him have just been something that hardly anyone's ever seen from somebody that was just a eight nine really good power hitter very inconsistent the consistency he showed throughout the year was just a direct result of the hard work and effort he put in but also the training and coaching that, that he received at one away performance. So, um one away meant a lot to our team. And I, I really think that they're a huge part of our success.
2: Yeah, they definitely do a good job down there. Rudy, we think, we thank you for hopping on, uh, Joy and I really appreciate you sharing some of the insight and what you guys do. If any of our listeners want to contact you reach out with any questions or anything that you've covered, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: I mean, best way is either to catch me on Facebook or Instagram. You just go to Rudy Garcia or look for MVP hustle and you'll find me pretty easily and um, I'll get back, back to them as soon as I can. But I pre- appreciate you guys' time, man. Appreciate, I love talking baseball, so I, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. And, um, again, you giving back to the youth level something, again, as a, as a, a fellow coach as well, um, what that means to the game, what that means to society is just huge. So we appreciate everything you do and the, your development methods and um, what you guys have been able to do and teach some of these kids some of these life skills. So thanks again for jumping on with us. Oh, thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thanks both. Thanks, Joy. Thanks, Rudy. Man, love that. Uh, Rudy can sit down with us and just share that perspective of, you know, just going down to that youth level and some of the elites on at that level and what they're doing. So that's great. It's going to move the game forward. This call takeaway is brought to you by Quality at Bats.
2: Don't forget to visit qualityatbats.com to further your mental approach to the game. Yeah, man, I enjoyed having that different perspective on the podcast. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey?
1: Um, I think my biggest thing with uh, Rudy is he has – this humbleness about him that, you know, he knows what he doesn't know and he knows where to outsource. And we talked about that through a couple of different episodes. Um, I love that. And I also love, you know, he's a high level communicator. So he's really, really good at, you know, I've seen him and I've heard him talk to a lot of different uh, kids and different age groups. And, you know, again, with adults and communication, obviously, and with his, those instructors and stuff. And I just, I love how he communicates. And so I think those are big, big things for me is just, again, the communication, his mindset on development. And also, to his humbleness um, when it comes to outsourcing. How about you, Bo?
2: Yeah, mine kind of just builds off that. You know, you can tell how genuine he is uh, through, throughout the interview. And I love how he wants what's best for his players and their development. I think that travel ball and youth sector nowadays, there's so many games and it's all about winning. And, you know, the coach is almost in it for himself. So I, I love how he's focused on their development and even goes to the length of admitting that he might not know everything. So he's sending them to different facilities. And, you know, he mentioned 108. So I just really loved how humble he is and how he puts his players first. And I think that's why, you know, he's done such a good job uh, at that travel ball
1: level. Yeah, hey man, love that stuff. And guys, this is a great episode to share. Cause again, it does come back to development. If you, you know, our main jobs as coaches is develop players. So I think there's always a mix of, you know, what guys are doing. Anybody that's developing players, I don't care what the age group is. Um, and especially at the, the level that he's doing it at. Um, and, you know, he's developing these players that everybody's recruiting. Um. So knowing how they've been developed also helps you know how to coach them, and also can be integrated into your plan as well of how you develop guys. So this is a podcast great for everybody and how you can you know integrate a lot of these things into your programming and maybe how you're developing players and maybe teach you some ways that some guys are learning to outsource and how they're taking advantage of those things as well. Um, but yeah, as always, guys, share this episode. Reach out to us. Tell us what you want to listen to, who you want to listen to, what you love, what you didn't like, what you what, what you want to talk about. Guys, let's do it. Let's talk about it. But until next time, farm system out.